And I spoke to him afterwards to let him know I was going to share a little something. See, he, he mentioned the letters of the alphabet and how one by one they're, they're immoral. They, they, have, they have no morality. But when you put them together, that's where morality begins. But in the book of Colossians, I believe it's in the book of Colossians, it's a catalog of 26 sins, the same amount of letters we have in our alphabet. And with that alphabet, we could, we, could, we, could, we could write a dictionary, we could write a novel, we could do all kinds of things with those, with those 26 letters. And with those 26 sins in the book of Colossians, can you imagine what we could do? The creativity of the flesh is endless. And we have an old nature that is just as nasty as it was before, you would say. We need to pray each day that that catalog of sins doesn't get a hold of us. It's always good to be here at this place. I, uh, I'm always, I look at, at the faces and they, they do bring back memories. I've said that before. I said that the last time I was here. And I don't make any apologies for that. The memories are sweet. Memories are real sweet. Watching Sunday play. It's sweet all summer. I was saved in 1978. For some of you that don't know me, I was uh, 38 years old when I got saved. A lot of water went under the bridge prior to that. It was 44 years ago. I wanted everybody to know the joy that I had after I got saved, but I knew nothing about how to do that. I didn't know how to witness. But one morning on Walker Street, I met a man who took me out. It took me witnessing with him. And I learned from that man. And I'm thankful to God that he put him in my life. Thankful to God that he put him in my life. Because I learned that the sowing of the word of God is the closest thing to the heart of God. People, the world belongs to the dedicated to the discipline. It was in 1873 in Dublin, Ireland, that D.L. Moody first heard the words of the British evangelist, Henry Varney. He said this to Moody, and Moody never forgot it. He wanted this to be him. And this is what Varney said. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who was wholly consecrated, dedicated to him. And that's the truth. And D.L. Moody, all of his life from that moment on, wanted to be that man. The discipline life shows up in little things. Some men throw their clothes all over the floor. Others pick them up. After a bath, some will, the disciplined will, will wash the tub. The undisciplined will leave the high water mark for somebody else to scrub off. Some will always be early for church. The undisciplined will always be late. 
And when it comes to the Great Commission, some will witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And some will not. And one day as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, before the one with whom we have to do, he's not going to look us over for medals. He's going to look us over for scars. The scars that are because we were willing to do battle for Jesus Christ. Today especially, all you got to do is turn on the TV and you know you got to be a fighter. You can't sit on your backside if you want to grow. So today I'd like to preach to you about keeping the main thing the main thing. Or the most important thing, the most important thing. However you want to say it. If you had only five minutes to speak with the person you knew was going to die in the next five minutes, what would you tell him? If you were a preacher standing in this platform, on this platform, behind this pulpit, and you knew it was the last time you'd be able to speak with anybody, what would you say? What would you preach? If you had only five minutes to tell the world, one thing, what would it be? What would it be? Jonathan Edwards knew what it could be for him. He said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeball. Stamp eternity on my eyeball. Kind of a funny statement. But he knew what it was to have a burden for souls burden for those that are on their way to an eternity without Christ. What are we speaking about? Surely, we're speaking about the greatest thing, the most important thing. We're speaking about the, the, the greatest challenge facing the church today. And that's the winning of the lost to Jesus Christ. Now, there are other things that are important. But that, to me, is the most important. I believe it's the most important thing. Evangelism, soul winning, spreading the gospel, because discipleship, before a person can, be, can know the joys of his Christian life, before he can be sure of heaven, he needs to be saved. Somebody once said, more than failure, I fear becoming successful at something that really doesn't matter. If you think about it, what matters most in this world? We see people all around us. We go to the mall, they're lost, undone. We live in the lost world, folks. People need to know Jesus Christ. So what matters to you? Do you even think about sharing the gospel with others? When is the last time you did that? You can't take the gospel to the wrong address, someone once said. The winning of lost folks to Christ is how Jesus will build his church. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you were looking in chapter 14 of the book of Acts and in chapter 15, you'll see how he's going to do that. 
James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church and uh, Paul and Barnabas were there. And, and James said to the others, he said, men and brethren, hearken unto me. He was the one in charge. He was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He had the last word. He's saying, listen to me. Listen to me. Simon, or Peter, as he referred back to verse 7 in that passage of scripture, he said, Simon has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people to bear his name. And so to this agree the words of the prophets. And I can't go there today. It would take too much time. But if you went back to Amos chapter 11, you would see the very same words there. That there will be a temple built one day after the church is built. After, the, after Jesus finishes building his church. That's God's program for this age that he should take out from among the Gentiles a people to bear his name. Jesus will build his church by taking out of the Gentiles a people to bear his name. And that can only be accomplished through the evangelization of the world by those that know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It isn't going to happen with anyone else. But there are voids. There's those who avoid this great work for God. There are those who live their entire lives for what they can keep and hold and hoard and have. But there are others also who refuse to live their lives like that. And there's a crown waiting for them because their desire is to bring the lost into the kingdom. They pray for them. They weep for them. And whenever they have an opportunity, they tell them about Jesus Christ and what he's done for them on the cross. Does it ever bother you that you don't do that as much as you are? It bothers me. Used to be we would see souls saved on a weekly basis years ago. When we moved to South Carolina, the Battle Belt, we saw very few people walking around there. Very few people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. More is happening up here than is happening down there, though. But I haven't been given the opportunity a witness for Christ. We ought to do the same. And one day when their life is over and they stand before the one with whom they have to do, they will leap for joy because they'll realize that they learned before it was too late. What good would it be to, to have gained the whole world and have no soul to stand before Jesus? It has always pleased God to further his kingdom by the preaching of the word and by the sowing of the seed of God. It's why he poured himself out of heaven. It's why he came to earth. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His entire life, his entire preaching was about this great concern for the souls of men and women. 
and his clear command to the church, to you and to me, is to bring the same message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Know this. No one's going to get saved by watching you. Oh, that might raise a question in their life, but you can <laughs> open your mouth eventually and tell them about Jesus Christ, what he has done for you. We live in a, in a, in a world of moral chaos. We live in a, in a world of political and spiritual helplessness. And we walk in the fields of a lost generation every single day. And what are we doing about it? Simply walking in those fields will never do it. Simply walking in those fields is not enough. Let's stop right here and have a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have put us all together in this place to hear your word. Lord, I would pray that you would give each of us a burden for souls that we may be willing to help. Help us, Lord, to recognize that the world around us is dying and on their way to an eternity without Christ. Give us wisdom. Give us what it takes. Give us confidence to confide in thee, to know that you will give us the words to say, and we'll give you the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 if you would. We'll spend most of our time right here. In Matthew 13, we have the kingdom parable. And they speak about a literal earthly kingdom that, that will be present after the, after the tribulation period. The Lord's going to return, set up his millennial reign, that thousand-year millennial reign. But it also speaks of a mixed period of conditions here on earth between Christ's birth and his return. And on this timeline, we have the age of grace or what we call the church age. And that's where I'd like to kind of park this morning. I'd like to focus on this area this morning. Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9. Let's read those. And the same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the seaside. And a great multitude were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, the soul went forth to sow. And when he had sown, some seed fell by the wayside, and some, and the, the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had no, not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, 
and the thorns sprang up and choked him. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some in hundred fold, some sixty fold, some thirty fold. And then he says, who has ears, let him hear. Who has ears, let him hear. This is the parable of the sower. And preachers often speak about the four types of soil, and that's good. The wayside soil, the stony soil, the thorny soil, and the fertile soil. And that is all well and good. But today, the Holy Spirit desires for us to look elsewhere. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says unto his own disciples, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Listen, there's nothing wrong with the harvest. It's plenteous. It's all around us. The problem are the laborers. There's not enough of them. There's not enough of them. Matthew 13 begins in this way. He says, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and a great multitude were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. They listened to him, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, <clears throat> excuse me, a sower went forth to sow. There was a great multitude. The disciples were there, but there were others there as well. Jesus is telling us about a sower. He's telling us about a farmer. He's teaching us about a farmer here. And we find the main thing is in that last seven words of verse three. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Dear ones, this is the main thing. This is the most important thing. Now, our farmer might work from morning to evening. I'm sure he was a hard worker. But working in the fields alone will not ensure a harvest. I'm sure our farmer prayed every day for his crops. But even praying every day will not guarantee a harvest. And of course, our farmer, well, he would have planned for an abundant crop by building new barns and, and maintaining his equipment. But even that can't bring a harvest. They're all important things to be done before the harvest. They're all necessary. But all this is an exercise in futility without the one thing needful without the main thing, without the most important thing. Planning is necessary. That's important. And I'm sure our farmer planned well. He was organized as well in all of his preparation. He had his yoke fed and, and everything was, was well prepared and ready for the work. He made all the necessary arrangements to have all in readiness for a great harvest. But folks, planning, organization, preparation, and readiness alone will never secure a harvest. And we know what's missing. The one thing needful, the most important thing for the farmer to do is sow the seed. 
he needs to sow the seed. There will be no harvest without sowing the seed. Preachers sow the seed in, in, the, in the pulpit, but they need to sow everywhere. Sunday school teachers sow the seed in their classrooms, but they need to sow everywhere. All that's commendable, but we need to sow the seed wherever we can. Sowing in the pulpit, sowing in the classroom, sowing in our home, sow where we shop, sow where we work, sow everywhere. People, the Great Commission is given to us. It's a command. It's not a, a request. It's given to us. We need to sow everywhere. Look with me at those seven words again. Behold, that's a, that's a word that says, listen, listen to me. Behold, listen to me. A sower went forth to sow. This is the one thing needful. It's the all-important ingredient to any harvest. You can't have a harvest without seed sown. There must be a willingness to go. To go to the fields before you can sow in the fields. Are you willing to go? All four Gospels command it. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, the word of God says, Go, go ye therefore and teach all nations. The word there's an adjective. It's really the word going. So no matter what you're doing in this life, be ready to sow the seed. That's what he's saying. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15, go ye into all the world and proclaim the gospel. The same thing, going as you go, as you work, as you play, as you, as you sit around the kitchen table, whatever you're doing, sow the seed. Luke chapter 24 goes on to say, repentance and remission should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning in your Jerusalem. You can't do that unless you go. And listen to chapter uh, 15 and verse of uh, John in verse 16. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I have ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that, that fruit should remain. Remember, Jesus is building his church by taking out from among the Gentiles a people to bear his name. And that can't be done without you. You're the, you're, the, you're the grunts in the trenches. You're the ones that need to do the work. You'll get a pastor soon, likely. But he can't do all the work. It's you that have to do the work. It's you that showed me how to do the work 40 years ago. This is your Jerusalem right here. You need to do the work right here. Remember what it says in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8. And ye shall be witnesses, or ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. The point is, 
that with all his preparation, the farmer must go before he can sow. You can have a barn full of seed, folks, but there'll be no harvest until the seed is sown. The sowing of the seed before the word of God is the only thing that will ensure a harvest of souls. We can sit right here every Sunday morning, but nothing will grow until you go. Let me share another verse with you. Matter of fact, you can turn there. Psalm 126. Verses 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Listen to those verses. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, sowing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Both emotions are, are spoken of here. Joy and, and weeping, joy and tears. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing or sowing precious seed, will doubtless come again rejoicing with his sheaves with him. Again, the sowing of the seed is in focus here. In this verse, sowing the seed is the closest thing to the heart of God, I believe. And it's the one thing in my Bible that causes rejoicing in the presence of the angels of the Lord. Notice in verse 6 again, sowing always comes before reaping. You can't reap until you sow. So if you're comfortable today, get uncomfortable. Because sometimes it's not comfortable to sow the seed. You've got to get out and work. <laughs> Doubtless you will come again rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. That's happened here not too long ago, I understand. That's exciting. That's exciting to see that happen. Again, the sowing of the seed is the focus point. Sowing the seed is the closest thing to the heart of God. Do you have a burden for the lost? Or is that something that has kind of waned since you've been saved? I've been saved for 44 years. And I've had my ups and my downs in that process. While I was in South Carolina, I was ashamed of myself. For not being on fire for the Lord. Coming back up here has 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 made all the difference in the world. This is where I belong. Do you have a burden for the lost? If not, why not? How can you get it back? Well, let me share something with you. <clears throat> in the book of Joel, in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 25, the word of God says, 
I will restore to you, Job of Turner, the ears of the locusts have eaten. When I was saved 44 years ago, my kids got saved. My Joe got saved. My Kelly got saved. My cousin, my Mary got saved. But my Terry didn't get saved. And I don't know who it was. It might have been Wetzel here. Or it might have been Pastor Valentine. I'm not sure which of the two said it. But they mentioned the Lord returning. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord returned today? And I didn't quite know how to answer that question. And my daughter Terry was on her way to hell. That's really where the burden started. We need to arouse ourselves. And recognize that those who don't know Jesus Christ are doomed. Are doomed. If God gave me his promise and he kept his promise, and he restored to me the 38 years that the locusts had eaten in my life, and he saved my daughter Terry. One's winning souls comes from a heart of souls, comes from a heart that, that loves souls. Before we can be winners of souls, we need to become weepers of souls. We need to weep for them. We need to pray for them. We need to do something about it. Besides weeping and praying, we've got to speak to them. We've got to speak to them. Won't you just for a minute? Think of the one who you love, who's lost and undone and on their way to an eternity without Christ. I remember thinking of my Terry in that way. And that's how we must think of each person that's outside of Jesus Christ. You know, I know men who eloquently preach the word of God and they've got PhDs nailed all over their office walls and they're as cold as ice. Don't be that way. Don't be that way. <clears throat> Find a way to arouse yourself with the truth that a lost one will spend all eternity in hell. Have you ever thought of that? All eternity in the flames of an eternal fire. How can we ever let anyone that we love go to that place? I sat in the hospital and witnessed the people that are lost. And I've been told by some family members, well, you'll get him angry if you talk about that to him. Well, I just as soon get him angry and see him say, and have him happy and lost and go to hell. Find a way to arouse yourself with the truth that that lost one will spend eternity in hell unless you do something about it. Remember in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20, the word of God says the harvest is past, the summer is ended. It's almost over, folks. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. What a sad verse that is. 
People, don't let that happen. You had a chance to do the most important work that God has given you to do. Many the lost to Jesus Christ is your work. That's your work. Oh, I know you have other things to do, but that's the most important thing. Because those outside of Jesus Christ have no hope. No hope. Don't let that happen. You know that you have everything you need to witness to Christ. Even a brand new believer has everything he or she needs to witness for Jesus Christ. You got saved? Tell somebody about it. You know where you were when you got saved? Tell somebody about it. You know how you got saved? Tell somebody about it. You, you don't have to be a scientist or a theologian to, to do that. If you're still excited about what Jesus Christ has done in your life, tell somebody about it. Find a way to arouse yourself. Does Christ and his word really rule your life? I'm sure that if I ask that question and I ask for a raising of hands, everybody would raise their hands. Well, to the degree that he does his passion for the law, will manifest itself in you. It's what brought him to the cross for you. To the degree his Holy Spirit controlled you for God so loved the world, so you will be burdened for the lost. When a believer is controlled by the indwelling Christ, the whole cause of evangelism is furthered because you know that except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So everywhere. So all the time. So whenever the door is open. We all know what Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says. We read it before. That we are witnesses in this dark and, and filth-filled world. But the question is, what kind of a witness are we? We've been commissioned by Jesus Christ to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and that we are ambassadors for him. We're representatives of his. We're supposed to be telling others about his son, Jesus Christ. Do you want Village Chapel Baptist Church to grow well, this is the way. Walk ye in it. You have your marching orders. Now march. Let's close with this illustration. A young soul winner was visiting with a dying man that he had won to the Lord. The dying man said to the young soul winner, he said, I'm soon to say goodbye to this old world, but because Jesus Christ, I am leaving a pardoned sinner. And so when I get to heaven, I will fall on my face and I will thank him because he redeemed this poor, miserable sinner that I am. But then 
I will ask for permission to stand at the head of the gate and wait for you. Oh, that young soul winner said, why in the world would you do a thing like that? And the dying man said, well, when you arrive, I'll take you by the hand and I'll bring you to Jesus. And I'll tell him that here is the one who showed me the way. And he will give you a reward for what you have done. May I ask you, will there be anyone waiting for you who will tell the Savior that it was you who led them to Jesus Christ? Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your simple word that we need to go to all the world and preach the gospel to those that don't know you. Sometimes that seems difficult and, and tedious. It seems nerve-wracking, causes trepidations. But you know that. You know how we feel when we start to open our mouth. We doubt ourselves, Lord. But you promised you'd give us what to say when we need to say it. You promised you would allow us to recall the verses that we've memorized. You promised that your word should not return unto you void, but will accomplish that for which it was sent. And so, Lord, I would pray that you would give each person in this room this morning an overwhelming burden for that one person that they know that they need to talk with, that they, they've been avoiding. Lord, do that this morning. And we'll give you the praise for it because we ask it in Jesus' name.